I'm Matt. And I'm David. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about preseason prep, gearing up for success, as well as smelt fishing. Our season is on thin ice. And stay tuned till the end of the episode, where we'll be giving you insight on our product of the day. So let's jump right into it. So pretty much uh, me and Matt, uh, well, Matt and I would like to pretty much, uh, you know, say thank you to everybody for listening in on our uh, on our previous episodes and everything like that. I think, uh, you know, with that said, we're jumping in to season two. I don't know about you, but uh, season two seems pretty cool. Yeah, seems it is. fitting for this. Yeah. Oh, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. <laughs> no, season two, I believe, is going to bring in a lot of different stuff. Um, you know, the experience of season one under our belt is uh, is going to help out for sure. Uh, the fact that, you know, we're going to have a lot of subjects coming up because we've got people giving us suggestions and all kinds of stuff, which, uh, which makes it interesting for us as well, uh, knowing what you mm-hmm. guys want to hear. So please keep that coming. And... Uh, I'm I'm excited for season two. Yep, and uh, we got a lot of you know, we got subjects that we're going to be talking about and everything like that. We got a lot of new ideas uh, also that we're going to be coming out with for season two. Uh, we hopefully we're going to be able to get a lot of interviews in for you guys as well, and you know a lot of uh, you know products and everything like that that'll be able to uh, keep you guys listening in on and, and helping us out. Yeah, definitely. So with that said, with our yay of a season two that we're we're starting off with uh we're going to jump right into our first subject which was pre-season prep and what we're going to be doing too on this season on this episode actually uh is talking about you know dividing it between fishing and hunting so really it's all pre-season preparations maintenance and so on and so forth that we recommend that can help you for success in your future season and uh, definitely, Matt, if you want to start it off, I, I know you had some great ideas for fishing, so let's go right to that. Yeah, right on. So for me, uh, the fishing one comes uh, quite importantly because, I mean, I have a lot of prep to do before my uh, my season with Bass Attack comes out, uh, which is still, I mean, a couple months away, but you're never too early to start by the small things, uh, especially to not be overwhelmed by your, uh, your preseason uh, necessities of stuff to do. So yep. for the fishing on the fishing side, what I like to do is, uh, I mean, there's there's not much to your gear compared to hunting, I would say, uh, especially depending on, I mean, if you're you're a boat fisherman or a kayak fisherman like us, or uh, just wader fisherman or bank fishing, you know. But the the big important thing is uh, is mostly maintenance and inspection on your gear, and yep. there's not many parts that can go awry. Uh, on fishing but i mean you know <laughs> well no but i'm talking about well that it, sucks <laughs> yeah exactly well that comes into my first uh my first topic is yep. your main thing with with your success with catching a fish is to make sure that your line condition is is perfect yeah um, and definitely for for line and, and like you were saying sorry yeah uh, you know one of the main things too like you're saying for line is if you're going braided, if yeah. you're going, you know, uh, like any type of nylon style fishing line as well, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, some people will say like, oh yeah, you know, I was fishing clear water, fresh water all season long this year. I'll be fine. Even if I go into salt water, but like 
you really got to check it because especially when you go into braided, braided is insane. Exactly. In and my opinion. It comes down to, like, we talk about preseason inspection, but it really comes down to end of season storage. Makes yep. a big difference on how much preseason maintenance you have to do. Yep. If you put away your braided line soaking wet and you leave it there for, you know, a couple of months, don't expect it to be top shave in the spring. Oh, yeah. And and even even if you go into freshwater with braided line, even if it's, you know, perfectly fine, I've noticed every single time, like, you'll notice at the end of the year, it's frayed and it's, like, all oh, beaten up and everything like that. And yet you just went, you didn't even go through salt water with it. So, I mean, exactly. and right then and there, wrong, you got to change it. There's nothing wrong with, with taking off, like... <clears throat> I, I, I'll inspect it uh, visually, and most times, even if I say it passes, I will still remove a good, you know, 30 yards worth of, of line on, on the beginning, just because that'll be your area that'll will have any abrasion, or the most abrasion, yeah. uh, whether, yeah. it, whether it be mono or braided. I, yep. I still believe that if you're not going to change your line, you should at least remove 30 to 40 yards of it um, at the beginning which will save mm-hmm. you tons of problems. Um, a lot of stretch too, eh? Well, that's uh, it. Especially that's, on mono, hard. you're going to get a lot of stretch at the end of the year because, I mean, you caught a, you, if you're caught on the bottom or whatever, the amount of times you pulled on it and yep. so on and so forth. Just I mean, the, that's all, just the casting, all factors. The, the, yep. You know, the preloading of your cast and everything will do a big big number on the stretching there. So my thing there is inspect your line, um, you know, remove the... Um, like, let's say you take out, I'm saying 30 yards, let's say you have to take off 40, 50 because it's still frayed and you still have enough left on your reel that you can say, oh, well, I'll, I'll start off the season with this. I don't want to change my line right away. Uh, oh, I don't, you, you know, I don't need 275 yards of, of line on my reel. You know, you can afford to lose that 30, 40 yards. I s- strongly suggest you do. You'll lose a lot less fish and you'll be a l- lot less fish, a lot less lures. You'll be a lot less frustrated. Uh, you'll cast better. Uh, oh, even tying. Even tying Even just on. tying a knot. Yeah, you a won't. braided tie in a knot was horrible. When I it know. was frayed or anything like that, it's just, it was. Exactly. You'd start pulling on it and you get some strands that stayed in behind and then yep. all of a sudden it'd start unrolling all over the place. Oh, it was horrible. That's why... The big thing at the beginning of the year, I believe, is check your line and remove anything uh, that you have to. And, I mean, it's not that little bit of line that will make the difference between, Yeah. on, on most occasions, it's not that it, that's going to make the difference between catching a fish or not lengthwise. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, too, it, I mean, I, I'm falling back often to braided line because I would say that that's yeah. mostly of what I was fishing when I was, you know, in the Quebec region. Exactly. And if I'm not mistaken, too, for braided line, there is actually a type of wax that you can buy uh, if if it's not for pre-fishing or, or you know, storaging and different things like that, like putting it aside. Uh, it can also help to be able to maintain the structure of it for when you're tying down knots. If I'm not mistaken, there's there's a type of wax that you yes. can put on there. Yes, there is. And uh, it's I, like I've never personally used it, uh, but I've heard about it. I'm I've pretty always, sure I've heard about it. I've always I've never used it myself. I've always used pre-waxed lines. Yeah. Uh, so like a slick line. So personally, I have never uh, needed to use it, but I know it does exist. Um, mm-hmm. and again, I have never seen it myself, but yes, it does. You can definitely yeah. find that at, uh, 
at your local bait shop or your local, uh, you know, guide service probably that that yep. may have more information on that. Yep. And uh, another, uh, you know, another topic on the whole maintenance thing and everything like that for for pre-preparation and, and whatnot. Something that you uh, you would probably again <laughs> have quite some knowledge on because at, at a certain point you had some trouble with some of your uh, your reels. Yes. Uh, that you had bought and and that was because of uh, if I'm not mistaken it was salt water that got into the the bearings and everything like that from the from the reel itself which it wasn't supposed to but it did. <laughs> exactly. I mean I'm strong on buying. Uh, I mean we're fishing in salt water so all my gear is salt water rated. And I mean, sometimes gear can can fail uh, anyway, and it it did come down to probably a little bit of, like I mentioned a while ago, storing it uh, incorrectly at the end of the season, because the reels function perfectly and come next uh, season after months of just being hung up in the trailer and and waiting to go out again, uh, I had two reels that were pretty pretty banged up, pretty seized up, and. Uh, you know, even if we do rinse them out in, in fresh water every time we get home, we hose them down, leave them dry. Uh, like you say, it, it still did uh, seep in there somehow. And I mean, I got stuck almost, I should say I didn't get stuck. I almost got stuck to have to begin my season with a few reels less than what I had, even for spares, because uh, I almost took myself too long to start my preseason to not be able to get my parts back in time so you know check your check your rods check your reels uh if if possible go in and you know sit on the couch watch tv and crank your reel uh every once in a while just to uh yep check the drag and everything like that yeah exactly loosen your drag up uh yep you know and if i'm not mistaken too sometimes some of the higher end uh, reels. Now, a lot of times we get the the assumption, like you were saying, that they are sealed and everything like that. Like you'll see on the pack that they're sealed or whatnot, uh, sealed bearings, so on and so forth. And and if I'm not mistaken, there, if not the higher ends that come with it, you can actually buy, you know, like in terms of maintenance, uh, like kind of like a silicone uh, yes. packets, like little like uh, oil silicone packets, yeah, that that are used to actually, you know. Maintain those seals, up. Do yeah. Not dry the seals out. Yeah, no. And yeah, exactly. I, I use pen reels. Pen has a, a very good uh, system of that. Exactly that, a maintenance kit that you can have. Uh, needless to say, after that first season with that happening to me, I took much more care of my. Like, I was a victim of it, saying, "Oh, it's sealed. It's saltwater rated. I got nothing to do with this." Uh, obviously, that's not necessarily true. Uh, yeah. some of the them, waters we have are salty <laughs> yeah and some of them i have never touched and i have two of them that uh keep giving me problems which i mean hey manufactured parts sometimes uh, have have defects which might have caused that i don't know but now mm-hmm. i do maintain them much better because uh once again if you have good line you did your line inspection and everything and you did not do your reel you're still going to have problems and you're not going to enjoy your fishing outing. So, Oh yeah, no, yeah. that's for sure. Yep. And, uh, also like, um, now we talked about reels, we talked about line and so on and so forth. Uh, there's also your rods that you got to check up on, uh, making sure that like the ends, uh, all your little, uh, eyelets and everything like that, that especially on the tips, the eyelets on the tips are 
one notorious of the to one bend. of the notorious bending areas and uh, a lot of times people don't think about it but when you bring in your let's say the amount of times that, that you brought in the uh, you reeled in a little bit too much and then you got your hook that comes in yeah. and smashes up against the end of it it's going to start chipping it you're going to get starting you're going to get these little nicks and stuff like that they're going to start breaking your line fraying your line uh especially on mono line that's where it's going to start snapping yep uh, either it'd be on cast or it'd be on a catch <clears throat> but then another thing too that uh, people don't seem to you know to look into uh, are the connection areas areas yep. on your rod that you connect or that you'll plug in uh, both tips or whatever uh, into the your furlough. rod and, uh, the what furlough yeah that <laughs> that is the proper term for your connections on a fishing rod. <laughs> so that area there uh, a lot of people don't actually check that and i countless of times have i seen people like all of a sudden they go and they pull it out or they go to, to take it apart and half the plug stays in <laughs> yep and then they get... casting especially fly rod you see them you know oh yeah back casting all of a sudden the two top sections of their four-piece rod go flying out with their line <laughs> yeah, yep i've seen that and uh, the other thing too that a lot of people don't have the misconception on especially in our area because we are fishing into salt water areas uh, i would say if you want to be able to maintain like a proper and and this is as much for if you eat the fish as much as if you release the fish uh is are your hooks yeah looking at your hooks a lot of people it's amazing they pull the hooks out and they look corroded like if they've been out in the <laughs> out in the weather for like 20 years off of a pirate are, ship. oh yeah they they look like they literally just came off of a pirate ship yeah. and i mean as much if you think about it if you're hooking up fish and you're going to be eating that fish like put a little bit you're of chances not on your side yeah you, you you're not only just like putting chances on your side that like hooks can break they're made to break yep they, exactly. they will it's, it's it's a very brittle metal anyways but not just that but if you're releasing the fish and you're literally like you're contaminating it. <laughs> yeah, no. Like intensely from, with like... Coming from two welders talking about contamination <laughs> in steel and that, you know, we, yeah. we, we worry about these things. Tetanus? Has anybody ever heard of tetanus? <laughs> <laughs> as much as if you don't get it in the fish, if you get it in your finger, it's going to suck. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're, you're honestly, you're right. Uh, I, but, uh, I, I know many people that bring out their, their tackle box in the spring and like it has this coat of rusty like scale in the bottom because they left everything in there all winter you know yeah and i actually think like i mean this is this is me talking about like how i feel about it in my personal opinion but a lot of people especially if you're casting with soft baits yeah i feel that if you do get rust on your soft baits it seems to just deter them like yeah. i don't know like if if you're going with let's say things that have scented or different different types of scents or whatever that's on it for some reason i just feel like when i'm casting out a soft bait that has rust on it if ever there is any like i have the the misfortune of picking one that has rust on it i always feel like it, it is less effective than if i'm taking a soft bait that's just brand new you know what i mean like i don't well i mean i don't know if you know what i mean but it, i know it's just like mean. a personal I, I, opinion i've been there before as well seeing like opening it up and saying oh man this is my last white lure but it's full of rust am i gonna cast it out and then we cast it out and then I'm like, oh, I'm not catching no fish. It has to be because of that. Is it? Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, it, it, I'll agree. It, I think it's like a kind of like subconscious type Yeah, of, probably. Uh, how do you call that? When, uh, uh, Premonition. Uh, people, 
No, not a premonition. Um, people that are uh, for luck and all that there. Superstition. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a superstitious kind of thing, saying that if you got rust all over your soft bait. It ain't going to work. And that that is non-sexual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> but uh, no, definitely. And now if we jump in, like, well, we covered everything that's fishing real and everything like that. Actually, before we jump into the hunting section, there's another one that that I'm going to stress hugely on. Um, well, massively on. Anyways, non-sexual again. Uh, I would say your waders, if you're somebody who goes out wading, check your waders for holes. Yep. Man, there is nothing more dis- like uh, just aggravating oh, when yeah. you get out there and you can feel like, even if it's a tiny drip, when you start feeling a cold drip on the back of your leg. Your day is not going to be ha- enjoyable. Yeah. If you start feeling a cold drip on the back of your leg and you don't have the runs, yeah. then you know there's a hole in your boots. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> And, the, and problem, is, the problem is as well is, you know, there's there's so many people that, again, this preseason stuff, a lot of stuff can be avoided with end of season. Do not put your waders away wet. Do not put your waders away, you know, bunched all up. Do not put your waders away somewhere that you'll be moving them 50 times during the winter and throwing them around and, you know chance of yeah, something like storage and packing know, and everything like yeah that. you know if, if you're, even the cleaning if you're going to invest yourself into a good pair of waders take care of them they're a, a major part of your gear you know yeah absolutely and and i mean uh, how many times and, and this goes for as much as it goes for lower end quality stuff as it goes for higher end quality stuff i mean the scenario of it is always the same it's yep. just it's mal storage, and that's about it. Yep. You know, it's just improperly storing your equipment that creates, like, mishaps or, you know, things that you don't want to happen right when the season starts. So that's <laughs> and why... And it's going to cost you money. <laughs> that's why your preseason inspection is important because, I mean, even if you did everything right, something can happen. So your preseason oh, yeah. inspection of your gear is super important and i mean by preseason i don't mean two days before your first fishing weekend but your end of season is very important as well yeah definitely is now if we go look into the second aspect of it now we talked quite a lot about fishing and different things like that uh i'd like to jump into the hunting part of the uh the segment and uh, this is something that's relatively new for me uh, in terms of like the amount of equipment that I have, uh, not relatively new in the sense of, I mean, I'm not new to hunting, but in a lot of the equipment that we have, especially in some of the new type of hunting, you know, hunting variety that we've decided to, to undertake uh, last year. Well, last year, last season, this season, we got a lot of new things that we, you know, that we're going to have to look into, which being waterfowl. So we have a lot of like, you know, the decoys, uh, the clothing, the, the, the shotguns, different things like that. And I think, you know, for hunting, there's a lot of things that you can do in your preseason prep. And also, like you say, again, in your, your end of season. And, uh, that being said, there's, I mean, greasing up, you know, cleaning up the, the, the gun itself is one of the major things that a lot of people seem to avoid to do it's so simple it's so simple on that like my and (laughs) 
you'll talk to my father someday. I believe that my father has been guiding as an outfitter for 30 years and hunting for 50. I do not believe he has ever cleaned one of his firearms. And he's, he's trusted <laughs> to me. Always make sure you clean your firearms when you put them away. Always make sure you clean your firearms before you're you know, going out. But he has probably never cleaned one. And he's been lucky. Uh, he's only had one uh, problem with a semi-automatic browning uh, that would not eject anymore. Uh, that was probably caused with no cleaning. Brought it to a gunsmith, got it, you know, really cleaned out a thorough cleaning. It's been working fine since. Still never cleans it, so, you know. It, 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 <laughs> Fix the problem. Him, it lasted Left it 20, as is. Exactly. It lasted them 25 years with no cleaning. He's figures got another 25 into it. They won't be hunting by then, so he's fine. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm a firm believer of it. Oh, but, definitely uh, myself. I clean my firearms uh, exactly. regularly. Uh, I clean them during the winter, even just by leaving them sit there. I mean, you will get, you will get rust in the uh, in the bore, uh, which is well, yeah. which is normal from the humidity in the air and uh, uh, humidity in the air, and plus the uh, the friction that you cause for every fire, every shot you take, it yep. does cause friction inside. I mean, it's powder's it's corrosive. Yep. You know, yeah, and it, more it, so in in like uh, my muzzle loader is horrible for that yeah. for corrosion. I mean, you got to clean that thing up right away. Yeah, well, I mean, most of the times you think about it, it it, it is cast iron in in a sense. It, it's a type of cast iron that they use. Uh, you heat that up; it, it's a natural occurring, you know, reaction. Rust will always be there. Exactly. Uh, people think or people seem to think that for rust to be there, you have to have salt, but it's not the case. Or a very damp location, but just, or a very damp location. Just the air is is damp yeah. enough. Yeah, and and the fact of having hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold type of temperatures that we have, rust is more of a dominant factor that can happen. Yep. Therefore, the reason why the importance of, of cleaning or properly maintaining, uh, you know, the equipment that you use. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, another thing that we had talked about earlier on, or that you had mentioned actually, was uh, the location. Yeah, figuring no. out where you're going to go for the next season. That's it. What's fun with I find what's fun with uh, with hunting is on most occasions your season it will be in the fall. I mean, you do have your your spring seasons for certain stuff, uh, yep. but most times uh, once for in our in in our situation is winter. You know, ten feet of snow. We're not doing much. Once that's gone, our preseason for hunting actually lasts quite some time Mm -hmm. personally what i do is i i like to use the winter months as you know scouting on on google maps trying to find uh locations where i think i would like to to set up get gps landowners you know get gps coordinates springtime shows up go scout that area uh decide okay you know position yourself very important to position yourself you know uh, sunrise sunset locate your stand setting in there uh say okay well if the wind's going to be coming from a certain direction where do i want my stand uh to my food plot or my salt lake or my uh, bait station or whatever um to make sure that you have you know 
you put the advantage in on your side. Uh, if you're lucky enough to be able to have multiple stands over a, a, a one food plot, uh, and you know, okay, well, this morning the wind's coming from the east. Well, I'm going to sit in this stand. Tomorrow morning the wind's going to be coming in from the north. I'm going to sit in this stand. Uh, that'll that'll change your game a lot. So oh yeah, it'll give you also your, the option planning to out it. your location. Is, yeah. is number one. Yeah, and it'll also give you an option of being able to do it on the fly. Exactly. I mean, not just saying, like, okay, well, the wind on such and such day will allow me to be there. It's just the fact that, like, for instance, if while you're there, you're noticing they're all popping up behind you rather than popping up in front of you. Yeah. Well, if you have a stand on the other option on the other side, well, then it'll just, you just quickly switch it up right on the fly, and then yeah. you can get that better angle. But see, these are all things that, as you're mentioning, you have to be able to like preemptively plan it out. Exactly. And this is by going to scouting it out ahead of time. Now, we're saying scout out things ahead of time, but one of the biggest things that also that we want to make sure that people understand is always ask the landowner, or if there is a landowner, try to always get permission before going into an area Definitely. and start cutting things up. Definitely. Now, this is one of the most important things that we want to be able to stress to you guys that you should do. Uh, and, and you know, it's one of the main things that you can do on an off time uh, during preseason and, raid, you know, in areas or at times that you're not able to go there because, like in our area, we have too much snow. So unless you have a ski do, you can't really get there anyways. Yeah. But, I mean, you can find out, like you said, through Google Maps, all right, well, this land, uh, such and such land or such and such uh, uh, plot or whatever, belongs to that guy that lives at whatever address and head over there and, you know, yeah. well, head over there, try to get his number first or something like that because right now the times yeah, we now, have, you can't really head over to anybody's place. heading over but, nowhere, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, just to get in contact with the person that uh, that owns the land is always your first step uh, after you, you're figuring things out. And then after that, you know, Start working at it. Sometimes uh, just clearing out an area is sometimes going to be beneficial even for the owner because uh, it might be a little bit overgrown, might be older type of woods. And, you know, sometimes just a nice little cut here and there is uh, is actually not too bad. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. if you're lucky enough to be on private land, uh, you know, a lot of them will uh, like to have you there. They don't want to be overcrowded. Um, like us on most occasions, we're on, on crown land. Uh, which means it's public, you know, uh, your location can be compromised. I've seen myself uh, set up a deer location while you saw it this fall uh, that one year later I end up having a, a clear cut 100 feet away from my feeder that I built. Yeah. So, I mean, is it going to be good or bad? Hey, we'll see next year, but that's why in the spring I got to go there you know, scout it out now that the clear cut is in and uh, see if I move location, stay there, uh, how I'm going to attack it for next season. So very important to, to do that as early as possible. Yeah. And also like uh, if you start going a little bit preseason, let's say, because we took we last season, we we took it upon us a little bit too late in the season to, to say that we did it properly. Yeah. But Guilty. The fact that we're, yeah, exactly. The fact that we're able to go a little bit ahead of time or that we're suggesting that you go a little bit ahead of time as well is you're going to be able to see a little bit easier, especially if there's some, I mean, just enough snow on the ground or sometimes snow on the ground, uh, but not enough to prevent you from getting there. Uh, I would say one of the big advantages is you're going to see if there's traffic or not. 
Yeah, that's You're going to be able to notice if there's traffic going through that area or if there's just barren, nothing happening. Because at least with a little bit of snow, you get some tracks that are left behind. Uh, you get some game trails that it's easier to see game trails through that than through overgrown brush, right? So Very much so. I mean, it's one of the advantages of hitting the season early and getting, you know, all your all your ducks in a, how many how do they say that? Getting all your ducks in a in a line? Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> and see we, like, we're not good at this. <laughs> we we cannot forget that let's say if we want to compare because I know you, Dave, have not uh, had the opportunity to hunt in the States yet. Um are, we got to consider that the the, uh, the density of the forest is completely different. I mean, mm-hmm. you cannot compare hunting here in New Brunswick to hunting in Illinois, where I've already hunted, or in Kansas even more. So, I mean, you see in Kansas through the woods as far as I can see in like a wide open field here in New Brunswick because you know yeah, like me exactly if if you see an animal and it walks literally 20 to 25 feet in the woods most times here you will lose it and not be able to see it and I'm talking about a <laughs> 800 pound moose walking 20 feet in the woods and you cannot see it no more yeah you'll sometimes hear it you'll oh, you'll hear <laughs> it you'll sometimes hear you it, see it but you won't find it <laughs> no 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 so you know we, geographically speaking uh, that makes it also a big difference for uh, our preseason prep as well. Uh, yep. Cutting shooting lanes. Um, yep. You know, once you once you've decided on your stand locations, your food plot location, make sure you have a clear shot. Are you bow hunting? Are you gun hunting? Uh, yep. You know, set yourself up for success with what you have available, your geographical location, uh, your hunt style. Um, you know, but do not wait till the last minute the longer you can do this ahead of time the better success you'll have for sure yeah and it's like you said set your up set yourself up for success it's pretty much saying set yourself up before for success prior to succeeding exactly and 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 it's just that it falls hand in hand that's what it is <laughs> your hunt will be so much more enjoyable uh you know the satisfaction of your hunt will be so much more uh, satisfying It'll mm-hmm. be it'll be enjoyable, uh, not a. It won't feel like a chore. It'll yep. feel like a, you know, a satisfying a- achievement of all your hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with that, now we we talked about you know many variations in the hunting aspect of it. I would say one last thing too that we could look into would be really to look into like all your gear for if you do get something. Yeah. I mean, look at the sharpness of your knives, look at the, uh, all your game processing equipment, mm-hmm. making sure that you have that ready. Have a plan. Is a, yeah, have a plan, but have the equipment. Don't show up for a game processing without anything to process it with, or you show up and your knife is dull as ever. Cause you don't want these are, you don't want to lose your harvest over something as simple as saying, oh, I didn't have a vacuum sealer or I didn't have yeah. any wrapping paper to, to wrap my meat to freezer paper. Or yeah, any cheesecloth or anything like that. I don't have any like, room in my deep freeze to put my meat. Uh, yeah. You know, I've seen I've seen guys lose, well, lose, waste uh, 
a full hind quarter of a moose because they filled their freezer and they're like, oh, I ran out of space, so... Yeah, you know, what do I do with let's it? dump it. <laughs> yeah. It's sad to see. Yeah. It's a waste. It's uh, it's not okay. I, I do not support that at all. Uh, if you mm-hmm. will harvest an animal, uh, especially, you know, if you put the hard work into it, th- plan yourself out to be able to process everything. Yeah, reap the rewards. Exactly, you know? yeah. No, definitely. So now, with that said, let's jump into category number two so our subject number two which was smelt fishing and pretty much what the season's going or how the season's going on right now <laughs> which is literally seems to be like thin ice yeah <laughs> thin ice it's just i mean we've had such a warm winter already that it's just like it's ridiculous the last uh, I two mean, days have been probably the coldest yeah tell me about it but we're already what about a month and a half late on these cold well, temperatures we're we're practically mid february already yeah and usually i would say you know beginning of january mid january uh, close to there people have already got their their shacks out on the ice and oh, people definitely. are already fishing yeah and only recently have people actually been able to and people are still having troubles now mid-February where there are warnings like you mentioned to me earlier on yeah there are <laughs> there are shacks that are floating out in the distance yeah <laughs> it, it happened yesterday actually um there's some uh, ice fishing shacks about an hour away from here uh that the ice uh, the tides came up broke off the ice and there was some uh, shacks floating away caused big problems uh you know coast guard out there firefighters out there Luckily, there was nobody in the shacks, but I mean, they can't let let them float away. They have to go out there and and get them. They have to, you know, pollution-wise and everything else. Uh, It causes big fines for the owners of the the shacks. Uh, Makes a bad reputation for anybody that wants to be out there because then there's people saying, you know, all they're doing is polluting. They're running a chance to to pollute the ocean, uh, the bay, Mm -hmm. and everything else. Yeah, it's it's given us a bad rap. I mean, I want to be out there as much as anybody else. Um, I've been getting calls and messages and emails about people wanting me to bring them out uh, smelt fishing. I will not risk it uh, to to have an accident happen where somebody would fall through the ice. I will not risk it to have anybody uh, lose equipment uh, to myself lose equipment and uh just the due to like a poor decision yeah due to the simple fact that also since it's not frozen over that well the ones that are venturing out are venturing out for nothing um here what happens is uh, we needed to freeze up completely solid for uh, the seals to stop coming into the bay and mm-hmm. once the seals stop coming in is when the fishing gets good because the fish are not being chased by the seals. And yep. r- right now, I am I'm guessing that if we do not have these minus 20 temperatures for the next three straight weeks, we will not freeze up. And even if we do, I'm not sure that it'll freeze up in time because our season still ends March 15th which is only yep. five weeks away. Yep. 
So I'm guessing that the season will be pretty much done. But, you know, if you're out there, be safe. Check your ice conditions. Don't do anything reckless. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to see anybody get hurt, lose a life, uh, lose some equipment, have, you know, people risk their lives to go get your equipment and then you have to pay a fine for it. It's just ridiculous for a couple small fish. Yeah. <laughs> or a couple of little... They're like, delicious, uh, but... Yeah, exactly. They're good, but they're not that good. No, exactly. <laughs> I'll pass. Yeah, exactly. But uh, no, for sure. And, and I mean, even even just recently, like uh, the river that's that's by the house and everything like that, and it, you know, only just recently did it actually freeze to a proper point where you could actually walk out onto it. I mean, I checked it with a pitch bar, like a pry bar, a large pry bar. And I mean, I was only like, I would hit on the top of it just to see the thickness of it. And I'd go right through, through and through. Really? I mean, you're looking at like an inch. That was it. Wow. Uh, where you usually would be six inches at this time. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was <laughs> when it did happen, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to back out. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I think I'm going to back out. I'm going to shuffle out. Yeah. But I mean, no, it, it, the weather wise that we've been having, like obviously for those that don't, you know, practice the, the winter fishing and everything like that, like so be it, they've been super happy about it. I've been super happy about it in a certain sense that, I mean, we're not having to clear out the yards or anything like that as often. And I mean, the roads are, are very clean, <laughs> are yeah. drivable, and you don't have to worry about a snowstorm and anything like that. But when it came down, when it comes down to, you know, ice fishing or, or practicing that hobby or that, that sport, it's been a horrible year in a certain sense. I was, like, able, it's to just been... I was able to go out once. Uh, I had to drive about an hour and a half away from, from Bathurst here. Uh, to be able to get on to some ice uh, where there's only about six inches of ice, which <laughs> for me, I mean, I know they say it's a lot safe. I personally do not like to be out on the ice if there's not at least 12 inches. Yeah. Uh, even they if say we were only in about three feet of water, I know if I would have went through the ice, I would have hit the bottom and I would not even got like my my belly wet. Yeah. Uh, which, they say you know, four inches is uh, the yeah. safe... Uh, they say four inches for a human. Again, uh, and again, then it's as a <laughs> six inches for a truck. Again, as a tradesperson, I always include safety factors. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> it's four inches to save. Oh, let's add in a good fifty percent safety factor on there and go to six. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> put the put the, the you know that that little factor in there, mm -hmm. that little like uh, extra percentage, and we know we're good. Yep. And again, <laughs> four I, inches strong. <laughs> I, yeah, I always like to go when it's like twelve inches is when I really you know feel safe. And yeah. uh, we were out there. Uh, this was what two weeks ago now. And uh, like I say, yeah. it was about it was about an hour, an hour and a half away from Bathurst. Uh, we were lucky enough to to catch our catch some fish. There's a bunch of people out there on the on the ice. Uh, we caught a few. I didn't catch many, but I was able to do it this year once. Um, but unfortunately for bass attack fishing, I will probably not be bringing out any ice fishing clients this year. This season, yeah. 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 No, definitely. Uh, with that, so let's say uh, what we're looking into right now, because I mean, that was a, a quick subject and everything like that. But uh, why don't we jump into the product 
and or products yeah. uh, of the day that we have. And it, it's not necessarily a brand in particular that we decided to isolate ourselves on, but more actually a, a variety and more of an actual product itself. Uh, when I say that, it's more like a specific type of item that you can use for the maintenance of your firearm. And uh, Matt, I'll let you go off with that one right there uh, and explain a little bit of what it is. And then we'll jump into uh, a little bit more statistics, well, not statistics, but, uh, you know, price ranges for everybody and all that. So again, uh, we're going to take out, we're going to mix in our preseason prep with our product of the day. Uh, another good preseason uh, practice for your, your firearm is ensuring the proper sighting in uh, of your firearm, whether you installed a new scope yeah. on or you've had the rifle uh, out with you an entire season, bouncing around the truck, bouncing around the side by side, bashing through the woods, you know, uh, yep. things happen. So our product is, uh, to save you time, money, and frustration, is a bore cider. <laughs> um, yes. Many different vi varieties. Uh, you have laser bore ciders that you put in the end of your barrel. You have chamber bore ciders that you can get for a specific caliber. Uh, yep. You also have the bore ciders. Like what I have for bore cider is not the laser. It, it's probably, uh, I don't even, I haven't seen many around in store. I don't even know how popular they are now. Probably the laser is the more popular one. But I have yeah, they're the ones I've seen. You've seen them at, at Bass. Yeah, I've seen a lot of them at Bass Pro, uh, and I mean a lot of. It's actually kind of funny because those that sell that sold out the most were all lower caliber, uh, like uh, rounds. Okay. So yes. like for instance, the the twenty two, uh, uh, the uh, twenty two two fifty two two three. Okay. They were all sold out. Every single one of That's them. That's the chamber one? But then all the one, yeah. Okay. But then all the, uh, no, 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 just uh, end of barrel uh, okay. lasers. Okay, okay, gotcha, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but all the ones that were left over <laughs> were all the higher calibers. Okay. So we're looking at like uh, from the 7 mil and different things like that. Okay. They were all still on the shelves. Really? And virtually the, they were all the same price hmm. that were there. But all the ones that were sold out were all the lower chambered rounds. Really? So like I was saying, all the 22s and everything like that, they were all gone. Like, pfft. Right off the bat. Hmm. I, I just find it's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> People seem to say, like, well, it's, it's a lot harder to chamber in a twenty two than to sight in a twenty two than a <laughs> than well, any other thing. <laughs> but they still are a more probably a more popular round as well. So that probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. And the one that I have is when you put it in the end of the barrel and you look down your scope, it's like you're looking into a target that's a gauge to be at 100 yards away 100 meters away and you bring your reticle down to the center of the target and uh, theoretically you'll be somewhat within at least hitting paper uh, your paper target to start off with and I mean okay. this is this is a big thing uh, I've seen myself uh, go to the range w before I had a bore cider and uh, start off you know 25 yards making sure I'm hitting paper and then calculating my click number value for 25 yards compared to 100 yards and then clicking it in moving to 50 checking it again then moving to 100 and checking it again uh, with the with the bore cider uh, oftentimes now it's directly to 100 and I'm within you know 
call it a six inch uh, six inch radius of my uh, my desired location, which makes mm-hmm. it a lot less frustrating, a lot less time consuming, uh, easier on bullets. Um, you know, just just makes the whole process uh, better. Also, it helps out yeah. even if you're not installing a new scope. If you just want to check it, if you at the beginning of the season you decide to say, "Oh, let's throw it on the bore sighter and see if I'm still lined up," you'll at least get the the initial, "Okay, I'm good," or "Oh, wait a minute, I'm way off. Let's let's yeah. you know start a, a good process to get this back tuned in." Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh like when we're looking at price wise and stuff like that, like I just I just crunched the numbers because the the prices I had before those were U.S. numbers. Okay. But we're looking at about like close to twenty eight dollars. Like, and this is on Cabela's or Bass Pro or everything like that. I didn't look at the other areas, but on those sites, you're looking from twenty eight dollars to all the way up to two hundred and thirty dollars. Yep. And the variations in in calibers and variations in styles, uh, it, either it be a chambered. Uh, style or it'd be a barreled style uh i mean variations will vary you know it'll all vary in prices uh like you said and and one of the surprising things that like you pointed out to me in in the states is a lot more dominant in in popularity i, I thought it was funny that they actually have a bore cider for a shotgun yeah you said for that. 12 gauge yeah. yeah i was like okay well and then you obviously like you said and and it's a, it's a completely logical reason. It's if you slug, if you fire with a slug. Yep. I mean, it is a rifled slug most of the time. Yep. So therefore, you know. It's see it, here in, in, in our region, uh, we don't have many slug hunters. But like I was mentioning nope. to Dave, uh, in my, my uh, hunts in the States, where there are a shotgun season and a muzzleloader season and a rifle season and a bow season, um, you know. It, it, it's popular out there. People will hunt every season possible on most occasions and have yep. a shotgun and have a muzzle loader and have, you know, all these, uh, these different, uh, rifles or, or, or firearms, which mm-hmm. means that at some point somebody will need to sight one in. And again, if you don't want to go there and waste your slugs, waste your time, Hey, a bore sighter for a shotgun does great. Does the job. All right. So with that said, now we're pretty much at the end of the episode, but one last thing that I'd like to mention, and well, that Matt and I would like to mention, being that we are presently in season two, uh, one of the new things that we'd like to introduce is we are we are willing uh, and like to introduce renting space on our podcast. Therefore, what we offer is if you have any products or anything like that that you would like us to talk about, or even if you have any type of companies or anything like that that you would like us to mention in our podcast, just send us an email to our email, wildlandsentertainment at outlook.com. And uh, we'll be able to plug you guys in and uh, get in talk or in touch with with, uh, our audience and everything like that for your product and what you would like us to talk about. And, you know, even if you want us to talk about certain subjects, send us a message on that or send us a message uh, on Facebook or anything like that. And uh, we'll be able to get, uh, get your information out there. Uh, I don't know, Matt, if you have something you want to add to that. No, that's definitely, I mean, uh, things that are exciting for season two, hopefully to get some engagement with, uh, with the audience and everybody listening out there. So again, uh, you know, we'd be happy to, uh, happy to 
to learn about your products, your companies, and and or talk about the 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 subjects that are relevant to uh, to our listeners. So you know, please send us an email, and I believe let's let's put a a link up to our email because our email is wildlands dot entertainment at outlook dot com. Yes. Yeah, I forgot the dot. Yeah. But yeah. It has the dot. People have to remember there's the dot. <laughs> the link, the, the copy of it will be in the description of the episode. How about that? Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, you know, the, the great thing about that, like I said, is if you want, you know, we're looking for, we'd like to bring on sponsors with us uh, into the show. And we'd like to be able to bring those products out uh, to everyone. And uh, no, definitely it's, it's, I think it's an opportunity for everyone on this one. Yep, for sure. So with that said... Uh, we'll be uh, tuning out on this one and hopefully be able to see you guys and, and looking forward to seeing you guys for the second episode of season two. So have a good one and we'll see you next time. See you next time, guys. Yeah.